Hey, and welcome back to Game Talk. I'm your host, Sam and Mion. Today, I'm joined by Connor. Hey, guys. And Mike. Hello. And I think maybe for the first time this year, we're having a quote-unquote normal episode, right? Because <laughs> I feel like ever since the year started, it's just been craziness, like acquisitions and like monumental games coming out. So our episodes have all been focusing on those. But today, I just kind of wanted to bring up a topic that I think is an interesting one. What I'd like to affectionately refer to as the Brown Era of gaming. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about like the mid to late 2000s era, maybe early 2010s, where it seemed like most AAA games were obsessed with this like beige slash brown color palette and everything was a sort of Call of Duty clone. And this largely was prevalent in the PS3, 360, like HD twin console era. Yeah. Um, and I, I, Obviously, everyone has their own personal tastes, but I think for me, in my, I guess, gaming life, this was probably the, I don't want to say low point, because I did enjoy a lot of games then, but like- I, I would call it the low point, like, because I, as a collector, I think that this is the least interesting time to get games from. Like Graphically, it was a low point. It was, it was the early where we were figuring out- I we mean, were trying to gameplay wise, it yeah. was not amazing either for many games. Yeah, there like, were a lot of games that were there were very much there were great the games same. that came out at this time that didn't really stop. But I, I would say that the average game was much worse. It was so, dominated by waist high cover shooters and Call of Duty clones. Really, yeah, yeah. I, the Call of Duty clones. Yeah, I, I think there's a few things to talk about here, but I, I first want to just like zero in on the the art and the graphics. I wonder why, right? Because like was... obviously it was a jump the first time we were jumping to high definition. You know, these consoles were advertised as 1080p consoles, but in reality, they were 720p consoles. Yeah. On a good day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, seemingly with that jump in fidelity came a mute, muted color palette, and I don't know why. Yeah. They, I, you know? Is there a reason? I think I, largely it was to desaturate, because they wanted everything to look realistic. Yeah. I, would say I think that, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Was yeah. because of the war in the Middle East. Yeah. Which was very that's, topical at the time. That's an interesting point, yeah. And that really points to like games like Call of Duty Modern Warfare, which obviously obviously is a, like a legendary influential game. But like it was chock full of those like grays and browns and yeah. beiges. They turned right? down that saturation slider. And I think I really like Mike's point. Like I think it was a weird attempt at realism. Like now we can finally make realistic graphics. Yeah. So just make everything look drab. It's just weird, though. Like, I, it didn't have to be that way. And obviously, there were, you know, colorful games in this era, too. But I do think, largely, like, the graphical style of the era was characterized by those <laughs> those it's few just, ugly colors. colors. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, sometimes they threw a blue filter over it to make it nighttime. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, this is weird for me because you guys are talking about Call of Duty a lot, but one of the games that defines this era for me is GTA 4, which I think oh, is the oh, best yeah. GTA Certainly. Yeah. a lot. Yeah, People, GTA 4, which, by the way, it's 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 funny to me how games, like, age and how they're perceived over time. Cause yeah, because people if, loved GTA 4 when it was exactly. new. But looking yeah. back, like, it doesn't have... It's worse than GTA 5 in essentially every way I can imagine. But then, and GTA 3 was legendary because it basically created the open world Yeah, and genre. if I was going to revisit it, an older GTA, it's going to be like GTA three. 3, San Andreas, or the yeah. third one that I don't remember. Because I, I don't know. Really City. Care. Yeah. Those, is, those it, were all like cartoony and fun, and I played a little GTA 4. 
and it realistic is a weird word to use for gta 4 because i don't think it was really that but tonally it was gritty yeah in yeah. a way that just wasn't that good like i think it i really think realistic i do think realistic is what they were going for though like it did a good job GTA of capturing whole. like new york city though like the grittiness of a rainy day in new york city was captured perfectly yeah they, they had a very gritty story they wanted to tell like they, I wouldn't say that they captured a reality, but the, it, it was kind of a caricature of. An well, I mean, yeah, that, that that's what GTA it. is. That's what it's GTA. like a, it's a commentary uh, satire on American culture, right? But they told like it was just so much darker than like GTA Five or Three, you know, and the, less colorful too. Yeah, like GTA Five. When I look at it, you know, like even though oh, it's yeah, it's been in around a desert for, and it somehow isn't brown, like it's brilliant. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's sun baked. It's a very and, beautiful game. And, and funny, funny, like, like funnily enough, I don't, lo- I don't love desert environments in games. That's just a a level that I'm not that interested in. I don't like them in Super Mario either. But like, I don't mind the desert in GTA Five that much. Like, they did a really good job of making it visually distinct and interesting all the way through. Oh yeah, it's very very <sighs> living. Now I'm thinking about Borderlands. That game's hideous. Oh the gosh, first Borderlands. Yeah. Oh yeah, Borderlands it's before they got that really the really nice style, and they just put the borderlands out of thick outlines and cell shading yeah. over brown I, yeah I, I liked like the the style of borderlands one like the cell shading and all was fine and all but then yeah the whole world it looked like uh i hate to say it it looked like fallout new vegas which is also a hideous game like new vegas is is hideous but it's intentionally hideous like yeah both the but fallout it, also, games, it came out in that era and so yeah. i never i've never been yeah. able to play it I, See, I feel like i would like new vegas if i could get past all that but i can't see fallout 3 and new vegas benefited from the realist brown trend because See, it that's just, their purpose it's meant it, to feel dreary and abandoned right po- and post-apocalyptic then, yeah. I I, I distinctly the... yeah I distinctly remember Fallout looking like that like if Fallout I picture Fallout in my head it, it has that it has that drab look to it three yeah. had a nice green tinge to everything though a nice you green talking about filter. the tint has me thinking about Battlefield three which was like at the tail end of all this kind of it had like a blue tint didn't it it had yeah because it, it had some vibrant colors to it but then it put this horrible blue filter everything I think there were mods to remove the blue tint and it made the game look I did so like much three nicer. a lot though I think three yeah three is my favorite battlefield one of the, yeah. my favorite battlefields I think four took the crown recently but three is up there four four is I just don't have the same memories with it I I do think it's interesting you mentioning like the tail end of this because like GTA is a great uh example in that like gta 4 came out in the midst of this era and then gta 5 came out on the same console generation no less right and and was like totally different art direction wise yeah and so good yeah very good really (laughs) yeah and and to be fair to gta 5 right like it is two generations old now and it's still getting remastered constantly for yeah it also still prints money (laughs) for future hardware and it still looks good like uh that art style is held up that graphical style is held up so yeah they keep just putting more layers of improvements on it It, you can tell that it's a a good engine when they can just keep putting graphical improvements and it doesn't cause the game to crash yeah yeah you can play it at 60 frames per second on ps5 and series yeah. x now so that's yeah that's i think it runs huge. pretty well on the steam deck as well i don't know if it hits 60 or not but the fact that the game has outlived three console generations is impressive well here let's well I, skyrim kind of take kind of was during the brown era too skyrim had a bit of i don't know i, I would say skyrim skyrim yeah skyrim I, was gray but it did it, it had I remember, issues but in retrospect skyrim is I guess I guess I Oblivion kind of came out 
Oblivion the, definitely at, did like, the start of the era, but Oblivion, but was, I, very Oblivion colorful. was brown. I didn't know. No, Oblivion, Oblivion was, was colorful. Very, yeah, very. I, I, I was gonna say I don't think Skyrim really fits that either. I think Skyrim was more colorful than his contemporaries. Skyrim yeah. was still bleak. It was very dreary. Yeah, it, it was bleak the, for no. I I remember installing mods very shortly after Skyrim came out to to up the saturation because like it yeah. was just it just didn't have a wide and range and of uh, Dark Souls came out that same year and that was intentionally very bleak. Yeah, Dark but Souls. Dark Souls. Even, you know, obviously, well, like yeah. I'm yeah, I'm extremely biased, but that muted color palette was perfect for that game. Yeah, yeah, because they knew when to break away from it. There were there were a lot of games that like. I feel like Uncharted had it in some areas, but not certainly not the full game. Uncharted One yeah. was actually the, the no, worst defender, Un- probably. Uncharted One was very green, right? Like it took place in that jungle. I thought I, I actually think all of the Uncharted games are quite colorful, oh, I, yeah. and I actually think, funnily enough, Uncharted Four has the most muted color palette out of all yeah, the Uncharted games. Yeah, it does. Games. Yeah, but it, it it came out late enough that that was a statement. You know, it was. Yeah, it, it was a, an intentional, like artistic choice. Yeah. To, I, I probably because the, the story was more mature and stuff like that. So, but no, Uncharted has been very colorful always from what i remember i I remember yeah so like the scenery was colorful but the jungle was very it was uncharted one is not vibrant the way that uncharted two and three oh absolutely not yeah yeah like it was a much more muted but it was still i think it was a lot better than its contemporaries but it was was still, still i think uncharted one definitely started it helped mark the reversal of the muted colored games like I, yeah. that was one of the first games in that era. I remember. I was just like, "Wow, like this does not look like everything else." Yeah, yeah. And like, it, it's so interesting because, like, obviously, we can talk about Nintendo here in a minute because they had their own issues during this era. But like, PS3, 360, HD consoles, like, uh, especially the first few years of these consoles, like, I just feel like they wasted it. <laughs> yeah, there was there was like. In in terms of the games, like, there wasn't really anything I was too interested in, right? Like, obviously, like, the big, you know, third parties really started shining in this era, and I was a big fan of them, but, like, they didn't look that visually distinct. Like, I'm talking about games like Assassin's Creed, like yeah. Far Cry, stuff like that. But God, Far Cry 2 is pretty brown, too, yeah. I do think that why I, you know, obviously, like, I've loved gaming my whole life, yeah, even though I describe this as a quote-unquote low point, but, like, the thing that saved this generation for me was multiplayer, right? Like, oh, I yeah. think right. the this, at least in terms of the console space, was the advent of multiplayer, really. Like, in a the, serious yeah, way. Xbox Live. Online multiplayer. And, yeah. yeah. Xbox Live with your friends after school, like, that sort of thing. I yeah. see, I... I did not get to participate in that at all. Yeah, I, I didn't either. Ah, you really missed out. I didn't it. get a PlayStation until pretty late in the game, and uh, very few of my friends had a PlayStation. Well, I participated towards like the middle of it, but only on the PlayStation level, and I, all my friends had Xbox. So yeah, exactly. I, was like, I had no, I was... a few friends that I didn't actually know that I had made playing PlayStation, but not yeah, very many. It, it's funny to hear from like you know like obviously I'm PlayStation fanboy number one over here, but like. I had a 360 and not a PS3 for the longest time. Like, yeah. it was, like, and the P- 360 was, even after I got my PS3, like, 360 was where I played. See, like, I, I actually, I, I don't think it's fair, which is why I hadn't really said it before, but I, I relate the brown era with the Xbox 360 far more than the PS3. I kind of do, too. 
I, I kind of do too, but I don't think that's fair. There's a lot of multiplat games that I just yeah, think exactly. of as 360 yeah. games. Yeah. It's because everyone even, played them on 360 because everyone like, even games like, had a 360 uh, back then. I mean, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong because you've played these games more than me, but even some PS3 exclusives like Resistance, they were kind of brownish Kills too. Them, Resistance right? was very brown. Well, Resistance 1 was very brown. I think Resistance 2 was a little more colorful. I believe Killzone was pretty brown. Killzone, Killzone, Killzone was Kill- muted for a purpose. It, everything okay. stood out. I know nothing about Killzone. Like the Hellgas, yeah, the Hellgas helmets stood out in the muted color palette because they were bright red. It and was like I'm thinking choice. about PS3 exclusives, like Infamous. You know, Infamous looked really good and was a good superhero game, but like it really did did have that like filter over it too. Like it's yeah. this was a characteristic in like a lot of games back back in the day. Yeah, all I had was a Wii for most of this gen. I uh, eventually jumped ship to the PS3. Uh, for reasons we'll talk about in a minute, I think. And, like, the reason it took me so long was just because I did think that there was nothing worth playing in this space because all the games looked the same to me. And I, like, just was not interested at all. I mean, even, um, it even got Sonic a little bit. Sonic Unleashed. The daytime stages are pretty vibrant. Sonic 06? Yeah, Sonic 06, too. I don't know. Sonic 06 graphically is not that bad. It's just a bad game. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty bad graphically too. Yeah, but it's not, it's not, I don't think it's an art style problem. I so still, I, I, I don't know. I probably told this story on this podcast before, but I'm going to tell it again. I still remember the day I got Sonic 06 because I was still deep into the Sonic trance. Yeah, you thought it was point. great, right? I thought it was great for the longest time. Yeah. But like more than anything, I remember getting it with my friend and we started playing it on my PS3 and we watched that first cutscene, and our minds were just blown, <laughs> right? Like, cause like. The, there were the graphics were unbelievable it, like like it, Fantasy, it yeah. was like cgi and then like it was it was like oh my god the whole game's gonna look like this and then the next cutscene like was in engine and it was just like several orders of magnitude worse and it yeah. looked like a ps2 game and i was just like oh okay yeah they really but jumped the gun because a lot of they, games, they spent yeah. like the entire budget of that game on that first cutscene like i swear they really must have yeah <laughs> like, I, I think a lot of games from this era have aged worse than others too because they they tried to go for an art style more realistic than the consoles could handle. Like, yeah, they, I don't they know. went for photorealistic and they really just weren't there yet. And so like these don't, you know, Uncharted looks amazing to this day. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. But like, Call of Duty Modern Warfare never looked good. Like, Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare 2. I don't know, man. Like, I, I would say like, out of all the gray browns, I think Call of Duty Modern Warfare looked the best. Really? Like, I re- I mean that's it, fair. And, it could look and maybe best. that's just I don't know. Pro- Killzone Two looked really good. Like Kill- Killzone, Killzone 2 always looked very good. Played yeah. like a movie at times. Killzone so- looked very always looked very good. But with Call of Duty Four Modern Warfare, especially, I think I just have an affinity towards that game because Call of Duty and Halo Three were king at that point, right? Like if you were playing a multiplayer game, you're playing one of those two games, yep. and and those two games shaped the FPS multiplayer scene. To this day, you know, like, especially Call of Duty 4, right? Like, that is the sort of template that most modern multiplayer shooters built off of. Yeah. So, and I think just the fact that I had played that game so much and with friends and it was such a big part of my life, I see it more favorably. But I, I remember the art style, like, I, I acknowledged it was gray and gritty and stuff, but I was, like, kind of okay with it. Yeah, I, uh... I think Halo 3 was kind of the opposite, though. Halo 3 was pretty vibrant and everything. Halo 3 was pretty good, yeah. I, uh, but, but, like, Bun- Bungie, like, yeah, Bungie has always made extremely colorful 
vibrant games. Like even even Destiny, like you can think what you want about Destiny, but like the environments in Destiny are are pretty incredible. Like really good skyscapes and stuff. Seeing how it impacted long running franchises is interesting to me. Uh, I think you and I talked about when we were talking about doing this topic. We talked about uh, the Legend of Zelda: Twilight Princess, which yeah, that's a great point. Is probably yeah. the Zelda game that has aged the worst, in my opinion. Because it, it's crazy. Because like uh, we get Wind Waker, which yeah. was this, you know, at the time people saw it as maybe a cartoony art style, right? And it had this these vibrant colors and this cell shaded esque art style, and then it's uh, succeeded by twilight princess that was all like gray and muted and like serious or what have yeah, you and i like twilight and, princess like don't, no I, no don't, don't get me uh, yeah, yeah. But, i I, lo- I love twilight princess but, but you like, can see the impact of this generation of gaming visually yeah look at what game aged like butter like uh well <laughs> butter wouldn't like age milk. well yeah aged like milk that's what i meant it's like milk yeah one one aged like fine wine and one aged like milk let's just put it that way yeah and they both got hd re-releases to really show you how bad it was yes yeah, yeah. Which, I, um, by the way, but put those uh, yeah, on I like looking, what are you doing? The other, um, and this, yeah, I don't know if you guys have played these games really, so it may not uh, be able to relate to it too much, but, and I didn't play it at the time, but Devil May Cry 4 was very difficult for me to complete because it came out during this era. It was one of those, like, very cold blues kind of games. Yeah. Where it, it, you know, it just, the visuals were so much less interesting than Devil May Cry 3. And, which is wild because Devil May Cry 3 was a, ps2 game that really didn't care about visuals that much uh but yeah it took me over a year to finish devil may cry 4 because i just got fatigued by these very by looking games. at it <laughs> yeah like and the gameplay is immaculate devil may cry 4 is one of the best devil may cry games uh really probably beaten only by five uh but which I, is, I don't know like some some games i i think definitely use the color palette appropriately like I know, like, another game that came out during this time, Spec Ops The Line, on the surface, looks like another gray and brown. It's making fun of those, though. Yeah, it, on the surface, it looks like another gray and brown Call of Duty game, but if you actually play it, you you see what it actually is, and it's a commentary on those games, yeah. which is very cool. Which, But the, yeah. those well, games were few it's, and it's, far it's between. It's both a commentary and it's kind of lampshading, because it does comment on those things by just doing them, basically. <laughs> yeah. But so. I do think it's interesting, because, like... Uh, it, when we think about like Nintendo during this era, right? Like they still still weren't making HD games, right? But they went in a totally different direction. And usually, when Nintendo was always kind of like the rock, right? Like you could always go back to Nintendo and see like these creative, colorful, amazing games. Nintendo decided to go off and go all in on the Wii, right? For better or worse, yeah. And, and, you, and that resulted in a brilliant games like Mario Galaxy. Exactly. And- yeah. But eventually what this led to was a dearth of content, right? Like there was like almost nothing towards the tail end of the Wii. Yeah, the pinnacle I think is Wii Music. Like Oh god, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget Wii Music. Yeah, so they're really just like for somebody that liked vibrant colorful games, like unfortunately if you're a 3D platformer, I guess you had Mario Galaxy and Mario Galaxy 2. So saying if you're a 3D platformer fan, this this era was rough is maybe not fair, but it felt kind of rough because it really felt like Nintendo had always been in your corner, and they were not in your corner anymore. Right. This was, yeah, I mean, like, I guess arguments could be made for N64 and GameCube because they sold less, but, like, everyone still respects those systems, right? Like, this was the first time it seemed like Nintendo had gone away from its core audience. Yeah, I I, I genuinely remember feeling abandoned by Nintendo, like, as a kid, you know? But I felt like 
I felt like there's nothing here for me anymore. I have to go buy a PS3. Like, yeah, no, that was. uh, I think it really felt like Nintendo's first very serious misstep. As as like someone who didn't want to just play Wii Sports, right? Don't get me wrong, I love Wii Sports, right? But I was looking for the Mario's and the Zeldas, and yeah, I have very fond memories looking back on the Wii. But like, yeah. more so than the Wii U, which is funny because I saw the Wii U was announced, and I remember thinking, finally, they're going, you know, a return to form. <laughs> oh gosh, I yeah. remember. I it was remember much worse. <laughs> yeah, you know, finally a controller that is mostly buttons, you know. And oh my god, was I wrong? But <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a tough time. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm even- glad Nintendo. I'm glad Nintendo ba- bounced back the way they did because, like, in a in an alternate future, we would still be using like waggle controls oh to control god, yeah. like Link's sword or whatever. I I love Mario Galaxy, but I do remember like even at the time, I felt like it was a serious casualization after like Mario Sunshine, like going from those free roaming, you know, the the Odyssey uh, style. Okay, I I know I hear what you mean. I don't think I'd use that word. I still think Mario Galaxy was was brilliant right like in terms of its levels and everything yeah it just i agree wasn't back, a seamless how i felt seamlessly time. connected world or yeah. whatever looking looking back i agree with you like mario galaxy is brilliant and i love returning to it but at the time when i felt like a lot of vitriol towards nintendo for right. quote unquote abandoning me i felt that it was a casualization and like not great you know but that, yeah, that's I coming. You. I did 100% Mario Galaxy. I think it was the first Mario game I ever 100%ed. I even I even played through it the second time as Luigi and everything. Yeah, I, and aside from those first party games like Mario Galaxy and Zelda Twilight Princess, I feel like it, this might sound weird, but the Wii's art style to me, I remember it as just like Mii's and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like that's what I think of when I think of the Mii. Yeah, a, not in a great way. Yeah, like GameCube was cartoony in a, in a great way. Yeah. Wii was like cartoony in like a, uh, you know, like this is what a corporate office would design, how a corporate office would design a cartoon. That, well, that, kind of that was another problem with the Wii was that like these third parties didn't really know what to do with it because they were still like, there were some brown games on the Wii and like that I mean, the Wii, really the didn't Wii, work. The Wii even got Call of Duty games. Yeah, I know. And that really didn't work because the Wii was not really any more powerful than the gamecube yeah so, it was like, it was just a bit it was like a gamecube with motion controls yeah so those games really suffered i i remember a couple like i remember some big like this is going to be the wii's first person shooter i can't remember the names of any of those games but another uh relevant thought i guess is this this is maybe the first time nintendo kind of stepped back from the power arms race right like because gamecube right was competitive with Right. xbox and the gamecube is stronger than ps2. The ps2 yeah but with wii they stopped reaching yeah. for that right and, and that's kind of been lower price point didn't they yeah the Wii was like 200 uh, or something no Wii was 300 i believe I'm, i'll look it up uh, we would have to look that up but yeah it, it marks the first time nintendo really decided to say we're doing our own thing at least hardware wise at least graphically which... we launched at 250 okay which, yeah, I still remember how hard it was to get one of those things. Yeah, which is a lot Definitely. cheaper than the $600 for a PS3, so. Gosh, yeah, that's another thing that characterizes this era, right? Like, yeah. who in their right mind would launch a console for $600? That is just... This is when video games went up to $60 a game, too, right? Weren't they 50 
Yes. Yeah. With the, the HD consoles, they went up to 60. And it's just weird, like, especially, like, Sony's messaging and everything. I think they remember saying, you'll, you'll have to get two jobs to pay for this thing. As oh, my if God. That was, yeah, it was if, As if that was, like, a positive what, thing. What's so funny is that was, like, following right off the back of, like, 299, you know? Like, wasn't that the PS2 versus the Dreamcast or something? So I, I don't know. I, I do not remember the price the of the PS2. There, there's, like, a famous yeah. press conference where, like, Sega had gone up and they were talking about their new console coming out and they had the price and everything and then Sony went up and all they said was two ninety nine and they walked off the stage. I think that might have been PS two. Yeah. So it's, like it it's wild to me because like okay, Sony was definitely like feeling themselves or whatever when they announced it, but they didn't even have anything to back it up, right? Nah. Like they didn't have games to back it up, right? At least not then. It took a long time for the PS3 games to the and really hard-hitting PS3 like, games. The PS3 come out. was really like a reboot for some, like a lot of IPs did not survive like the transition. Like you know, yeah. they lost Jack and Daxter. They Ratchet and Clank did not do super good on the PS3. I don't think. No, it did. No, Those games were really good. It did. Well, okay. it, it, no, it 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 the games were good, but like they weren't what well, they, they were. Yeah, but they in had the to PS2 start era. a new a bunch of new yeah. IPs. You know, they had to start Uncharted. Little Big Planet got its start. Little Big Planet has very near and dear to my heart. That's like my favorite it's dead, PS3 game. It's it's a dead series. Yeah, I know. Well, it's, it's dead because they're making dreams now. Dreams, it's like yeah, the same thing. It's just a bigger also, version of Little, Little Big, Big Planet. Planet Three existed too. But I think I don't know what Sony was thinking. Maybe they thought like the Blu-ray player would give them a lot of value, similar to how the the DVD player gave the PS2 a lot of value. Maybe they thought they could strike gold again like that, but clearly that wasn't the case. I think that Hubris is very much in PlayStation's DNA, and they were very hot off the PS2 being like the most insane console of all time. Yeah, I guess, but I like they they I don't know, like it, you know? business-wise, there still has to be some logic in this, and yeah. like just thinking about it that way, like I. I feel like they maybe bet on the Blu-ray player being a much bigger deal than it was. I mean, it I did. The Blu-ray player did end up being a very big deal for the PS. Let's be clear here. A lot of people bought PlayStation 2s to play DVDs. Like, yeah. that was a huge deal back in the day. I mean, my PS3 was, you know, for a long time, was only still plugged in as a Blu-ray player. Like, yeah, it, it was a Blu-ray player is still expensive. Like, that's just the way it is. One thing with the PS3 that I really liked and I miss is that the PS3 fat could play PS2 and PS1 games. Right? And I thought yeah, that was just I was so. so I got I a PS3 was, Slim, not knowing that I wouldn't be able to play those. I thought that was so cool, right? Because like my PS3 felt like you know, like the PS2 could play PS1 games, right? Like my PS3 felt like the culmination of all of Sony's efforts up to that point. But obviously, as we know now, like it didn't continue that way. You could still play PS1 games if you bought them on the PlayStation Store, which was right. But like, I would used to be able to, you know, put my PS1 disc into my console, which is you know obviously saying that in 2022, yeah, is like no one really cares anymore. But like, I would still very much care about something like that. I would love to stick like a PS2 disc into my PS5. Like that would be yeah, because we're we're at a point now where like. I remember getting a new TV and trying to hook my N64 up to it and realizing that my TV did not support 240p or whatever, so I could not play my N64 on it anymore. I'm like, (laughs) oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember that too. No, like, I remember, uh, I think a couple years ago, like, busting out the N64 when some friends came over and, like, my TV couldn't support it. Yeah. Just because it was too advanced. And, like, I have a very sick setup in my house upstairs where I, like, have a retro gaming room that has a tube TV in it and everything, but, like, not everybody's gonna 
you know, not everybody has a whole room of their house to dedicate to this stuff. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't even recommend it. I don't go in that room that often. Like yeah. you know, my next house probably will not have that. So I'm not going to throw I away did. the stuff, but it's probably not going to be set up all the time. Yeah. So that was Nintendo during this era. We talked about Sony and Microsoft. I do want to bring up one thing that I think is very interesting from this era. The lack of indie games, right? So indie games really weren't as prevalent as they are today in that era. I would you argue had like the Xbox Live Arcade. Though. Yeah, that I was, was going to say I sort of disagree with you because this this was this the start. console generation was when indie gaming really. The, got yeah, that's started. what I was going to say. This is I, I to me at least towards the end of this generation is where the indies kicked off, right? Spelunky but before that, Spelunky HD came out on the Xbox 360 in 2011. That to me is the dawn of console indie gaming. Like, yeah, that that sounds fair to me. I think like 2011, 2012 is when the indies really took off. Yeah, but so that's about halfway through the gen. So yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, like I I do think it's interesting. Like, let's say 2007, 2008, when these consoles first come out, there really wasn't a concept of like the traditional console indie game that we think of today, right? No, you're right, but it did. All these AAA players making absolute buffoons of themselves with these brown games kind of opened the door for indies to, you know, they kind of yeah. left the door wide open for indies to come in and scoop up a market. Because this, Very is, much like, so, this yeah. is the first time I remember thinking like indie games are doing stuff, you know, they're making good games when nobody else is. And it's an interesting like period of time too, because like it's it's in the period of time where like, okay, we were getting these sorts of games now that are only possible because of this hardware, like these 3D maybe semi-open world HD games or whatever. But, like, there's obviously still, like, a hunger for, like, games that are still, like, you know, pixelated 2D platformers or whatever. Games that people grew up on and developers, AAA developers, are no longer interested in making those kinds of games. But technology has advanced to the point at this point where an indie developer could easily make that kind of game. Whereas, you know, like maybe 20, 30 years ago, it would have taken a triple A developer years to make that kind of game. But now it can be made by an indie developer, which is just uh, that argument's kind of weird, though, right? Because like indie developers today are the same size triple A developers were 30 years ago. You know, like an indie team has like, you know, that's true. Yeah, yeah, people on it or something. I think the first Spyro game was made by like 10 people like. But I guess I'm just saying like it was, you know, triple A wasn't interested in making those kinds of games anymore. And indies had the capability to do it, so they just went for it. And obviously, there's still a hunger for those kind of games. Yeah. Yeah, and it's weird now because the AAA scene is, space has seen that people love this kind of stuff, and they've kind of come back to it a little bit. There was a, a 2D platform yeah, I mean, like, for a bit that was very nice for I, me. I keep saying over and over again, we are currently living in the golden age of gaming, yeah. right? Like, right now, like, a AAA indie whatever could make whatever they want, and it could still potentially be successful, right? Like obviously we're still kind of fearful of like the games as a service homogenization that could happen. Right. But like overall, like we still get a, an amazing variety of games that are all quality, all like, you know, yeah. in different ways. I, I so. think it, it is an, uh, the Brown area is kind of characterized by like blunders that opened up a market space for someone else. Like had Nintendo not, really leaned into casual games and you know made me feel the way i felt motion controls sony would not have been able to come in with little big planet and like Mm kind of really you know little big planet was a system seller for me that made me want a ps3 pretty bad 
And if there was a, you know, if Mario, you know, if New Super Mario Bros. was not the dominant 2D platformer, which I, you know, New Super Mario Bros. Wii, I played it and all, but that art style's horrendous. It's still hideous, and I don't know why they keep using it. I thought that at the time. Like, yeah. You know, if if not wonders like that. I would have never bought a PS3. I wouldn't have a PS4 I can, now. I, I can like, I can definitely echo that, right? Like I, for me, right? Like I had a PS2. I didn't have an Xbox, but like seeing like all the fun my friends were having with the 360 and Call of Duty and Halo made me want an Xbox. I was done with PlayStation. I didn't really want that. Yeah. And it only took, you know, like and I got all my third-party games on Xbox and stuff. And it only took, you know, like the relative lack of interesting third or first-party games to me at least on Xbox. To make me look at PlayStation's first party again and say, hey, like, I remember really liking these games in the past. Let me give them another shot. And then I'm, you know, I'm glad I did, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, who knows what could have happened if Xbox had put out, you know, first party games that I had been interested in. You know, like, I really just wasn't interested in, like, Years of War and Forza and stuff. So Yeah. Yeah, if Nintendo, I think if Nintendo had, you know, put a good Metroid, well, Metroid Prime 3 was really good. But if there'd been a good 2D Metroid or something on the Wii couple other things i'd have probably never bought a ps3 never would have played uncharted yeah if not for uncharted 4 there's no way i would have bought a ps4 you know that stuff just wouldn't happened yeah always fun looking looking back and seeing the the chain of events i I don't know why this this whole conversation just has me thinking about uh cake princess or fat princess fat Fat princess princess, yeah on playstation that yeah isn't that that's I loved that game. I only had the long. demo, but I played it so much. I had no idea what was going Whatever on. Whatever happened to Fat Princess? You know, like, I, I think that's a Sony-owned IP. It's a good idea. I feel like... It might be a little crass in 2020. Yeah, I was going to say, it's one... I don't want to say that game couldn't get made today, because that's not true. But, and I and I think most of the time when people say that, they're out of their minds. Unless they're talking about, like, 80s movies. But So, so Titan it, it is a little crass, yeah. So Titan Studios went to go be Funbits. I think Funbits actually shut down over COVID. Ah. Because they were working well, on something called Squids from Space, and then they discontinued development because COVID caused their... S- Sony still down. owns the IP, though, right? So if they I wanted so. to, they could bring it back. I just don't know if they think there's a hunger for it. I don't know that there's a... Because it, like it was definitely like a niche thing, but like it was one of those weird experimental things it, it that Sony did that was really cool. like online gaming is kind of new type thing, yeah. I feel like. Yeah, right. definitely, yeah. definitely has its niche. There is a pipeline from Fat Princess to League of Legends. I will not elaborate, but that I feel like you kind of have to. I, I, I just I feel do. like they're not as dissimilar as you would think at a glance. Like, yes, Fat Princess was classes instead of characters, but like Fat Princess had lanes. It had like different roles you would take. It had stuff like that. No, MOBAs didn't exist yet when Fat Princess was new. No, it did. They did. Not yet, no. League of no. Legends hadn't started yet when Fat Princess oh, came Oh, no, Dota, the original Dota existed. Oh, yeah, that was Warcraft. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the mod existed. I forgot about that, yeah. I, think I, I forget that there is a Dota existed. 1 most of the time. Speaking of League of Legends, I just kind of want to comment that, and this is totally unrelated, by the way, but Tencent is the most profitable gaming company in the world right now. I think they just released their financials and it like wasn't even close. So well, yeah, Fortnite ch- season or chapter three season two just came out. So do they own? So but they don't own Epic, right? They, they have like a, a majority, ma- majority of Epic. Yeah, but like I, I have to imagine most of that money comes from League. <laughs> like okay, so Fat Princess and League launched the same year. Really? Okay. Yeah, like a couple months after each other. I know which one I'd rather play. Fat Princess. Fat Princess? For sure. 
Yeah. Yeah, Fat Princess doesn't make I, you mad. I kind of want to play Fat Princess now. I wonder if there's, like, <laughs> private servers. <laughs> Just boot up your PS3. Wait, there was a sequel for the PlayStation 4? Really? Fat Princess Adventures. Oh, well, that doesn't sound as good. Oh, it's an ARPG. Man, Capcom was full of blunders during this time, too. Thinking about DMC Devil May Cry. I feel like a lot of third parties just take turns in generations making blunders. Well, you know? Capcom like, was doing their whole, like, westernization push, which is really funny because the thing I like about Capcom is how cartoonishly Japanese they are. Because I remember in that era, I was all about Ubisoft. I loved Assassin's Creed. And at, at the time, it was such a crazy new idea, right? I liked Assassin's Creed. I was never real crazy about it. But I Assassin's was pretty... Creed Brotherhood was very fun for me. Well, let me just say, in high school, for one Halloween, I dressed up as Ezio. So I was pretty into Assassin's right, Creed. Yeah back in the day so edgy dude i i god am i gonna say this i absolutely had some jackets that were very like desmond e like oh you had the the hoodie desmond really yeah the future desmond sucked like well yeah but i wasn't gonna wear like a renaissance looking outfit to school every day this was a jacket i wore (laughs) okay yeah like obviously connor it is we're not one of the classic i do I, I do remember I like it a being a StarCraft player. I do remember it being really weird hearing Nathan Drake's voice come out of Desmond whenever <laughs> I played Assassin's Creed games because like know that. it was the exact same voice and he like didn't even try to change it. That's really like it was it was very jarring. Remember PlayStation Home? Des- yeah, yes. PlayStation Home was the original awesome. metaverse. The original metaverse. Yeah. I think I still think that was such a neat idea, like ahead of its time. Oh, it was, it was so a cool. neat idea, but it it didn't work and. It, we we'll probably do an episode on this, but it didn't work for the same reason the metaverse is never going to work. Like, it's not practical. <laughs> it's. I mean, I think it could work. It's just pe- no one's done it right yet. I think. I yeah. I feel like I feel like I could talk about this for an hour if we wanted to do an episode on it about why the metaverse is a nonsense idea that'll never work. But it, it in a literal sense, yes, it could work. It won't though. It won't. Reasons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because because people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, play. I remember PlayStation Home being like I had a lot of fun. Free PlayStation. Game. Yeah, I, I mean, I won't say like I frequented it, but like I, I remember it. checking checking it out. I, I would, every now I would and then get on it every so often. I played it exactly once and kind of lost interest. I do know there's like a very dedicated hardcore PlayStation Home fan base out there. Like I think they're actually trying to like revive it somehow. They're all playing VR chat. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, like, I think there's a dedicated group of people out there. Like, I saw this documentary on YouTube, I believe, that are, you know, devoted to resurrecting PlayStation Home because they had such fond, fond memories of it. Like, they that made friends like and an stuff through it. Thing to do, though. Yeah, like, I know, right? Resurrected. Destination <laughs> Home. Destination Home, that's what it was called, yeah. Uh, I just... I don't know, it seems so pointless. I don't know, man. Like, people obviously valued it in a certain way yeah no judgments here well it seems very pointless in 2022 when like vr chat exists like yeah those fill the same niche but one of them is like way better or at least more interesting but no and not everyone has a vr head- headset you don't have to have a vr headset to play vr chat you can play it on a screen oh really yeah kind of defeats the purpose of vr chat I, I yeah part of me agrees but part of me is like the point is to hang out with people in this space vr is in a just virtual a space better way yeah. to do it yeah Anyway, anyways yeah i think <laughs> i don't know do you guys have any more to say about the brown uh, era the, the brown era i think we covered it for the yeah, most I part think we got it 
Yeah. <laughs> we got it. Yeah, right. We got it. Do we want to so, want to dive into yeah. topic number 2? Oh boy. Topic uh, Do we want to Okay. Uh, I guess uh, an addendum. Yeah, I was going to uh, say I almost want to rag on the metaverse a bit, but we can do that another time. Yeah, <laughs> I think t- those two they're, they're together. Yeah. There was okay. there was an idea to just briefly talk about NFTs and how I guess we feel about them and their potential impact on gaming. Connor, do you want to start? They're extremely bad and every single idea involving them is a scam. Yeah. Like the thing about NFTs is that everyone always comes forward with the idea of you could draw cross game inventory. Who's going to support that? Yeah, like <laughs> who's, uh, who's yeah, going to do one the one thing people love to that. say with an NFT is that you can get a gun in one video game and transfer it to another video game. That's not we, how video games work. We live in yeah. a an era where people barely want to want to keep games working across so, consoles. I, can you can you I, imagine I think the, the idea of money that would have to change hands to get a game in Battlefield, a game made by EA, and be able to use it in Call of Duty, a game oh, made that'd by... Be the way so I think... So the way I think how executives and people at these companies see NFTs is that when they look at games like Team Fortress, right? Yeah. Is that the one? TF2. The yeah, hardcore, yeah, you can get the any, hardcore any shooter? Game. Yeah, so like the, they, like those players are already willing to spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on like rare skins and stuff. Right. Yeah. I feel like those would be the exact same type of people would be like, I would totally buy an NFT that like proves that I own this skin or whatever. You but know? they can. That system's already in place in Valve games. Yeah. Counter Strike already has. Yeah. Like, count Counter Strike. That's what it's yeah. called. Counter Strike already I, yeah. has an original owner. Yeah. I believe Stat Track. Well, yeah, and and these people are all talking about how it would be decentralized and all. Someone still has to make the games. Yeah, like, someone still has to do the things. It's never going to be decentralized. You're just making servers, but worse. Like Someone's someone's always going to have to make the asset and make sure it works. Yeah. Like If you get an item in one MMO and you think you can use it in another MMO, someone's going to have to port that asset and make sure it works in that engine. And, and Ahmed, I almost think you're giving these guys too much credit by saying like that they don't understand this. They know they're scamming you. Like, oh yeah, there are a lot of people in the NFT space that don't understand it. Those are the ones getting scammed. Like, <laughs> the NFTs who- <laughs> exist to get you to buy crypto so people can sell out. Yeah, like and cash. NFTs out. are just a way of leaving you holding the bag. They're always yeah. going to be a scam. Like, there, there's no justified use for an NFT ever. I do remember like Ubisoft announcing they were like going all in on NFTs and just getting oh, yeah. absolutely railed yeah. and like. I think I think they haven't softened their stance. Like I know oh, no, some other haven't. like they did, I, no they said I, some they other didn't big understand. companies. You just don't understand NFTs. Yeah, and no. And then they gave do. their employees an NFT hat as like a reward for yeah. a game milestone or like an anniversary. I, I, just to say, yeah, like, I think of, I, I've been on a, a job hat. hunt recently, and just my vitriol. I have seen NFTs and the blockchain mentioned in many job descriptions. And that is me instantly blacklisting your company, like for my job hunt, because I, I will not have my career sullied by this stuff. Oh like, yeah, no. I, I mean, I, okay. So let me make myself clear. I I'm completely against NFTs, but I wouldn't be against working on the blockchain. Like, I'm pretty I, opposed to blockchain because 99% of the problems we're trying to solve with blockchain already the have problems solutions. didn't exist until they were trying to look for something to do with the blockchain. That's not all of them, but it's a lot of them. Yeah, the blockchain's largely a pro- uh, solution hunting for problems. Yeah. Which, Not for those uninitiated, around. the blockchain is what an NFT is stored on. For all intents and purposes, what the blockchain is really doesn't matter, other than the fact that it 
burns an absurd amount of electricity and produces nothing. Yeah. And it costs every, like, I think Ethereum, there's a price associated with every transaction. And 90% of the time, you're going to be losing money when you make a transaction. Yes. NFTs also cost a certain amount to mint. Yeah. Like, as a financial exchange, anytime you lose a significant chunk of what you're paying, and oftentimes you're paying more in the transaction fee than you're paying for the transaction, no one's going to use it. Yes. Like, if you go to buy a $5, like, bag of jerky for $65 because your card's charging you $60 in transaction fees, where's the problem at? I do wonder why, like, it's it's kind of fascinating to me that, like, these big companies really honed in on NFTs, right? Because, like, crypto has been around for a while, and I think this is just them trying to incorporate crypto technology into video games and maybe in ways that they think are natural but like totally don't make sense oh yeah Yeah. uh i think the one you know i think the use case that they're going to try and push is like the skins idea right like get these super rare items that you can prove that you own or whatever but i feel like at this point the discourse has almost completely gone in the other way in that like there was a period of time where there was almost a question of like are we going to have NFTs push on us? Now I would say definitely not, right? Like I think most sav like even the non-savvy like customers and stuff of these video games I feel I, like everyone kind of knows NFTs are nonsense at this point. I'm not convinced we're out of the woods yet on uh, yeah, on NFTs there. and other crypto being pushed on us because an idea being extremely unpopular is not enough to stop an idea. Like this there's also the topic of like I guess play to play to pay okay, or whatever so games. The first yeah, te- you would have I to guess tell the me first test the first test is gonna be if a company like Ubisoft implements NFTs and how well they sell. Right? Like people's I hatred don't think- of NFTs is not enough to stop them from buying a game including NFTs. I don't think. Oh and yeah. They might not buy the NFTs, but it costs Ubisoft nothing to include the NFTs in the game, yeah. really. So you know, that's just another, and then eventually we get desensitized to it. It's been in there long enough. You know, I, I, I think yeah, that that's it can a fair point. Its yeah. way in still. I don't think we're out of the woods. Yeah, I don't think we're free yet. And especially with people like you could. I you am could optimistic play the game though because I think money. I am optimistic because I think there has been a very vocal response to this, unlike other. Yeah. Uh, let's say negative gaming practices. So yeah. Uh. Yeah, I, I really, I, I really don't want to see a future where games are play to earn, because that just sounds awful. I don't want to treat a game as a job. No, that's aw- no. I, I do not want a game to pay me in an NFT that I will probably lose money on for playing it. No, I agree. It's it's well, kind of- you'll only lose money on the NFT if you buy it. Like if oh, you I'll receive still, one, I'll still lose time. Yeah, like I'm not times the, time's time the most valuable currency. Ticket. Let's just be real here just a garbage picture that i could trade for a garbage amount of money and probably lose more in transactions you don't want to you you don't want to have proof that you own this jpeg i don't care about the jpegs i don't even need I, the proof i do wonder if nfts being in games is gonna be enough for them to start bumping up against anti-gambling laws though because like loot crates and stuff have been able to avoid that until now because there's no way to get money back out of it. Maybe, typically. actually. But that's going might... to stop being true if they're NFTs, because you can sell an NFT fairly Ooh. fairly easily. So I, I, I don't know. I would love... This is one of the rare occasions 
where I would actually kind of really like for legislation to shut this entire industry down because I oh, think yeah. NFTs are cancer and really blockchain in any way involved in gaming is almost certainly going to be cancerous. It's it's attempting to see the same thing that happens in the art world where values artificial largely and yeah. try to put it into the gaming space. I definitely agree that NFTs are not going to add value to gaming and I I'm a little softer on the blockchain idea. I still think that there's something that could be explored there, but as it is currently, I will say definitely not. The blockchain's been around a really long time. Like, it's not a new concept. And the fact that, like, it suddenly has become a buzzword is a pretty easy way to tell that it, like, is mostly bad, in my opinion. But, because it was, like, it has, in, like, it the ha- 90s, yeah, I think. It has become a buzzword, right? But, like, I also think it's recently that people are trying to find novel ways to use it. And I don't know what that novel way would be for a game. Maybe, like, a multiplayer thing where, like, you have to, like, work together and you progressively unlock, you know, like, new levels or layers to the game. But right? you, yeah, and, but none and of each that level or layer me. would be, like, a another node on the blockchain or something. But there's no reason that that can't just be hosted on a server. Like, yeah. the the advantage of the blockchain is that stuff is decentralized, and yet nothing that is actually, like, nothing on the blockchain that I've seen is actually decentralized. Like... All of this is still dependent on a server, and once once it's dependent on a server in any way, the blockchain is not adding value anymore. Yeah, I guess once we come up with a decentralized video game, then there th- that's your use case. But, but that just that, can't such happen. Such a thing doesn't exist. Be making yet. stuff for it, like I guess it would. The idea would be like you make it, and then it just sort of yeah. <laughs> goes on its own or whatever. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. This this perfect video game with no bugs. And yep, exactly. Are, yeah. Are you sure? Like, you it's just my. It doesn't NFT work to get into my my exclusive metaverse. Yeah, and and that's the thing with the metaverse too. I was saying like PlayStation Home and stuff like that. Like Second the, life, the value chat. add of a metaverse is like this virtual space that maybe like me and my friends can meet in this virtual space, and then like hey, we're all hanging out in this virtual room that we're hanging out in, whatever. And then we say hey, let's jump from this virtual room and go play this virtual game or something. And now. Like, that transition has to be flawless. The creators of both of these applications have to have communicated clearly what this transition looks like, and it has to be perfect every single time. That's never going to happen, because, like, Facebook wants to make their metaverse. VRChat already exists. VRChat Uh, exists, and it's probably the best. Other companies are going to want to make their metaverse. Like, you're going to have all these different standards. They're never going to, nobody's ever going to be able to, like, concede, like, all right, you beat us to it. We'll have to use your metaverse. Yeah. That's never going to happen. So, like, I mean, just look at what, (laughs) look at Facebook's stock, right? Look at Meta's stock. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's tanking. What happened? Right. So, like, clearly, you know, people are not on board with this. So, I, that's why, like, I'm not, I don't know. Like, I still, I guess maybe I'm naively optimistic, but, like, the evidence to me as it points right now, I don't think we have to worry about, like, gaming suddenly taking a little left turn into NFTs and crypto. Where, like, I, yeah, I don't I, think it's going to happen. I, well, much like, the, funny how this all ties back together. I could see us having a dark age where it happens for a while. Hmm. I could see, I think that the industry will correct over time uh, because it's, they're going to start losing money and it's really stupid. But I, I could see us having I mean, these issues okay. and having so to deal with here, them for a time. So here's a counterpoint I want to make. So 
obviously like the gaming industry has a habit of chasing trends, right? Like everyone's chasing games as a service because it makes all this money and like all this stuff, right? Like, and the counterpoint to that is we just had a game come out, a single player game. Well, it has multiplayer elements, a single player game, no games as a service elements, no microtransactions, and it's doing Call of Duty numbers. It is still possible in this day and age to make video games for the intent of just making a really good game and it being so good that no one can ignore it. Right? Yeah, like, and I that never went away. Like even in even in the darkest ages of gaming, that was still happening. Like, yeah, and I, all I'm saying is like we have examples like Elden Ring, right? Like that show that like we're never really, no matter how far into like a dark age we go, we all always know what i guess the right path is for game development yeah right? there are still like nothing beats like, out there. like yeah, nothing beats a solid video game like yeah, i don't even like, behind it, it all there are like people behind you know there are companies making these games but those companies employ people who see all this stuff for what it is and like just want to make a good game yeah so yeah i agree with you like there's always going to be miyazakis you know <laughs> There may not, I mean, there will never be another Miyazaki. There will never be another Miyazaki. There's always going to be people out there trying to make their very good game that is just a good game. No, no caveat. It is just, it's just refreshing to see that coming from like a AAA studio. Like, and it's succeeding to the degree it has. Yeah, from software or something else. Yeah. Very proud of them. (laughs) Because, you know, like this started out like, I mean, we don't have to go into this, but everyone knows what I mean. Do you have more to say about NFTs, Mike? I think I've kind of not really. I I've kind of just they're just they just make me mad. Especially like GDC is going on right now as we're recording, and I am seeing a lot of tweets from like video game developers who are really mad because there are people spending a lot of money to peddle this stuff at GDC. Oh yeah, no, GDC did a poll recently, and a lot of the developers, like seventy some percent, all just didn't agree with NFTs. Yeah, because they're they're bad and dumb yeah they're <laughs> bad anybody who has common sense in the coding space and doesn't want money knows they're bad yeah no like yeah they're grifters it's it's that simple the people that don't are are grifters <laughs> yeah they're grifters or they want a lot of money. like i recently completely blacklisted a musician from my listening history just because he started selling nfts yeah it's actually really upsetting seeing all these celebrities who like, like he he went full deep he actually now changed his twitter name as well oh my god like that's yeah full, i see a lot full, of celebrities like oh, i just bought this nft and they have no idea what they're talking about and that's just kind of sad right i was gonna say like a lot of celebrities they're just they're being you know, paid to do it yeah they're being they used. see ways to make money and they yeah they go for it right they don't really yeah. have much to lose right yeah. they're i don't think they'll lose their fans over it no probably not or so. not a significant portion yeah, most but of the anyways, people were like, yeah, NFTs, yeah, we'll buy your sound NFTs. And do we want to awful. transition? Yeah, yeah, games we've been playing. Yeah, why don't we? Why don't we start with Mike? We never start with Mike. Let's start with Mike. Uh, did I talk about the Crusader Kings three yet? I don't think so. I don't. I, I don't th- think so. Okay, I've been playing Crusader Kings three again, which would recommend. Honestly, it's Crusader Kings two, but streamlined and simplified. I think it's on. Game I Pass. Crusader I Kings. Three is one of those games that I desperately like. I I really want to play it. Like it seems oh, yeah. like right up my alley, but it I'm is. very scared if I play it. Like I'll just turn into like a zombie or a crackhead or something. 
uh, it's very easy to get a step away from because it's not it's not a territory painting game largely. It's more about growing your dynasty. Yeah, that sounds slowly really... growing. That does. Like sound if fun. you just start territory painting, you're gonna get in a lot of trouble with vassals. Like I, quickly. I've heard like you can just play Crusader Kings three for like forever essentially and just not run out of things to do. Oh, is yeah. that true? There's so much yeah. to do. Like right now, I'm trying to reunite Africa from the west coast. I started as a tribe, and I've slowly been growing up from there. Oh, really? I thought it was, like, only focused on Europe. It's North Africa. It's most of Saharan Africa, so, like, the Mali area of Africa. So, Central Africa, up to Europe, and all the way over to India. Oh, there's Asia in it, too. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, man, this... Uh, I've... I've thought many times about buying this game, and I will certainly do it one day. But. Oh, it's it's really good. Like, I think I've talked about Crusader Kings 2 on the show at some point. I don't think you have. Maybe I, I talked about At least E4. I don't remember. I, I don't know. Crusader Kings yeah. 2 is a lot more complex and has a lot of DLC, and Crusader Kings 3 is much more streamlined and easier to get into than 2 ever was. And that is that a good thing? Oh, it's a very good thing. Okay. 2 was 2 was almost arcane in the number of menus you had to go through to do anything. It was, it was not a great time. But three, yeah. it's largely one or two menus deep to do anything you need to do. I have like looked at a few screens of Crusader Kings three, and obviously, like, sim- like anyone who looks at these games for the first time, it's going to be overwhelming, right? Like, I felt the same way when I looked at Civilization for the first time. I was just like, "What is all of this? Like, what are all these menus? What are all these stats? Like, it's just so much information coming at you at once." And I got that sense when I was looking at screenshots of Crusader Kings three. They I'm also sure if have I, uh, I play it, it'll tips. make sense nested tooltips yes so if there's a term in a tooltip that you don't know you can mouse over it and it'll show you a tooltip that defines the term that's very good it's that's extremely good impressively good yeah like certain terms will be highlighted like stability and then you could mouse over stability and it'll describe you what stability is that's the kind of thing i really wish was in the game that i'm going to talk about in a minute (laughs) yeah it's it's very very well thought out tutorial system now very nice and there's like, you mentioned you were starting as Africa, right? Like there's yeah. all sorts of different starts to this game. Like you can start as all sorts of different, like what what are they called? Like scenarios or whatever? Not even scenarios. Like, you can just pick a nation on a map. Yeah. And it, and the gameplay will like adapt dynamically based off you, who you pick, right? In a or way, something. everything's simulated in the background anyway. So Europe is still going to change regardless of what you're doing in Africa. Yeah. But it's, like, different each time, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And depending on what you want to do, you'll have a set of goals that you can set yourself. Like, I want to reform the Kingdom of Mali, or the Empire of Mali, so I want to conquer all of Africa. But this, okay, so I guess another question. There's no, like, win state, right? You just sort of play it? Yeah, there's no win state. It's largely just what you want to come up with. Like, what's your end goal? Yeah. That's that's fascinating to me, because I feel like I'd... I've never played a game like that, right? Like I, I feel like I always have to have like a win or win or end state. I don't know Your if end- I could handle like defining it myself. Yeah, it's it's very easy to define it yourself, and it also makes it easier to stop playing for a session because you could be like, okay, at the end of this session, I want to establish this kingdom title, and then once you do that, you can just stop playing and come back later. Yeah, games yeah, without man. an end state are dangerous for me because then I end up. Yeah, I, like I think Factorio. I think I'm in uh, the same camp as Connor. I don't know if I could. I don't know what would happen. Oh, I, I don't want to try can. it just to I see. I can play them, and I usually like them a lot. It's just unhealthy. 
Yeah, I also, know. Like, uh, I... Crusader yeah. Kings 3 is also weird because you can start at uh, 850 AD, immediately raid the raid Rome, murder the Pope, and then destabilize the entire Christi- entirety of Catholicism. That. And the game and, just like goes and from it'll there. just go with it because it'll drop the fervor of Catholicism down to like zero, so people are converting religions left and right. That's so you'll just turn Europe into chaos. Yeah, that's a wild alternate history, yeah. And it, it'll be I I'm kinda tempted to start a campaign where I do that is and there, just watch Europe unfold. Is there multiplayer? Yes. Oh god. There is multiplayer. <laughs> All Paradox games have multiplayer, and the best part is, if you're the host and you own all the DLC, no one else needs the DLC. Oh, man. You're that's, saying very dangerous things to Yeah, me. that's the Dude. case for all Paradox games. I just, you just got me What are you going to say, Mario Connor? Kart DLC. Oh, no. <laughs> Why? What? Yeah, how did that... Because only one of you has to own it, so I bought it, and I've been playing oh, okay. with all my friends. Oh, yeah. So I still so haven't played it yet. I still got to check it out. That is the best DLC plan, honestly. Yeah, no, it's just yeah. good business. I don't, I don't want to talk about. It's still just Mario Kart, so I'm not. Especially, especially with like but... Paradox and the fact that their games get an enormous amount of DLC. So if yeah. you don't get in early, you're going to suffer in terms of your wallet. Well, I also feel like a lot of times with those multiplayer is not the best way to play them because you get stuck waiting a lot. No, it's no, real time. No, yeah, really? it's not a four. It's a real time game. Okay. So you don't wait. You just oh, kind of just goes play it at a speed and same go. like uh, Stellaris, right? Like CK3, I, I have played Stellaris. Yeah. CK three multiplayer is kind of fun because me and a friend were. I was playing as an Adamite in Spain, which meant my entire dynasty was naked. <laughs> I thought I had watched one of my friends play Crusader Kings. I, guess I think it was. I think game. it was on Extra Life because I I streamed it on Extra Life at some point. Yeah, no, what I was watching was turn based, so I'm not sure what it was. It probably wasn't Crusader Kings, but yeah, I kept getting assassinated by the Irish. So there has to be, like, I don't know, there has to be some kind of end state, right? Like, at a certain point, new stuff has to stop happening, there, right? There is a time end state, I believe. Okay. Like, I think it's so... You can also transfer your saves. There's utilities to transfer them between the games. So if you really want to go go wild, you could start a save in Crusader Kings 3 and play it in Hoi 4. In what? In Hearts of Iron 4, which is a World War II game. You can transfer oh, oh, all the way up through. And through. so it reads your save in Crusader Kings 3 and that impacts the game? There's tools to import it. I think you'd Im- I think usually the import path is importing it from Crusader Kings 3 or 2 to Europa Universalis 4. And then transferring that to, I think, Victoria what? 2? This and sounds- then going to Hoi 4? This is nuts. This sounds... Yeah, you could have not- this, doesn't sound- this doesn't sound real. There are tools that exist. And, for, and then you have to transfer your save into Pokemon Home. and you <laughs> Exactly, right? <laughs> hey, I still have Pokemon that I caught in, like, oh, there's like what, 2005? Apparently. Yeah, you can carry your Pokemon from Gen 3 forward if you want yeah, to. Yeah, I still have a bunch of Gen 3 Pokemon <laughs> that I, I still need to get out of the 3DS bank or whatever. Mine are, mine are stuck on my Pokemon Diamond. Ah, uh, so you'd have to play Victoria 2, which is a bad time. Mm. But there is a save converter from that's EU insane. Man. You could play a game the same the same nation as you played in Crusader Kings three. That's insane. All the way in World War Two. That yeah, I've like never heard of anything like that. <laughs> that's that's crazy. You got anything else? That's about it. Uh, I got two. Yeah. 
I was going to say, Connor, you seem like you're itching. So Yeah, I want to... So first, I, I've talk, I talked about Capcom briefly earlier. The reason I've been thinking about them is because I picked up Monster Hunter Rise because uh, it Finally. was on sale on Steam. You were, you were ragging on it earlier, right? Is uh, that the one on... That was the one on Switch, right? Yeah, I was ragging on it because it was like a Switch exclusive, and I was like, oh, it's going to be worse than Monster Hunter World. And so I, it's out on PC too? Yeah, it's out on PC now. Okay. I was super wrong, as it turns out. <laughs> this game... I mean... I knew it was going to be good because, like, the Monster Hunter, very much like Call of Duty, it's the same game every time, and it's never been bad, to my knowledge. There have been, like, worse ones, but they're all pretty good. And, uh, yeah, I really love, I love me some Monster Hunter. I wish, I wish, I wish I had someone to play it with. It doesn't have cross-platform multiplayer. I didn't want to only have it on Switch because I wanted to play it in 4K, sue me. And, uh, yeah, none of my friends are into it, so I, it ends up being a pretty lonely experience. I will say that, like, the uh, the multiplayer, like, drop-in, drop-out multiplayer in this one, where you can join somebody halfway through a mission, is way better in, uh, in Rise, I would say, than it was in World, because there are, like, separate multiplayer missions from the single-player missions, which, like, on paper looks worse, but in practice is just way less annoying because, like, cutscenes aren't an issue and stuff, and cutscenes were a huge issue in Monster Hunter World. But these games are just so much fun. Like, and this is, like, it did learn a lot of lessons from World about streamlining and stuff. It's very good. It, it kind of took out some of the stuff from World that people didn't like so much. Graphically, it's really good for a Switch game. It runs on RE Engine, the same one, you know, the new Resident Evils and Devil May Cry 5 are on, and that engine... That's a good engine. Never stops surprising me. But it had me thinking about, like, what Monster Hunter is to me. And it just, it combines so many things from other games that are good. Like, it's got, like, it's it doesn't have the difficulty of a Dark Souls game. But, like, if you play Dark Souls and then you play Monster Hunter, like, the gameplay is going to be instantly familiar to you. You know, you're fighting these giant monsters, you're dodge rolling through their attacks, and you're swinging your giant sword at them. And it yeah it I, I don't know man like so I good I think Monster Hunter is very close to ensnaring me like I feel like the next entry that comes out I might just be Dude, all Monster over. if you want to pick it up on your PC Monster Hunter Rise is thirty bucks right now I would love to play it with you some and having a friend will make the grind go down a little <laughs> smoother for you probably and also yeah, and, and this I is the know. next part I was gonna say the onboarding is still not great like. I was crafting some materials, or I was crafting some armor in this game. And I will say, the grind seems smaller. Like, I didn't have to kill as many monsters as I expected to to craft my gear, which is an improvement in my opinion. But there was one material that I needed to craft a sword I wanted to make. And I was like, I've never seen this material before. Like, where, where do I get it? And I'm, like, pouring through these menus. And finally, I gave up, and I looked it up in a wiki. And the material that was listed was not actually a material. It was a category of materials. Nowhere in the game does it tell you what category anything is. So I had to look at a wiki to find this out. And I'm just like... That's crazy This could have been in the game. Like, you could have just told me. Like, there was no reason for this. And that was bad. That was why I was saying, like, God, I would love to have some tool tips in Monster Hunter. It wasn't that bad because I was just like, you know, I just had my phone and I, like, said, you know, hey, wh where do I get this? And immediately was able to find out and go get it. And get it, getting it was super fun. Like... These, these boss fights, which is the whole game, is boss fights. And all of them are so good that they are fun to play over and over. And they're also, like, balanced around four people bashing on them. And playing this game multiplayer is so chaotic and fun. 
because like you don't have to be that good you have to be pretty bad at the game i think to really drag down your team at least in the early game but then in the late game like every one of these hunts has a 50 minute timer on it and late game you will push against that 50 minute timer like some of these hunts are an absolute endurance match sometimes you have to fight more than one monster sometimes one monster is just so tanky that like it is a 50 minute boss fight and like that might sound bad but i liked it like in monster hunter 4 when i was actually playing that i'm not there in rise yet i'm still pretty early in the game it's just really fun i i recommend i it hear dude i hear this all the time from my friends who play monster hunter i just don't it hasn't grabbed me yet and i Have feel like it's close it you came over to my house and played monster hunter world remember like the the demo or whatever and I, it just didn't oh grab the me. demos are not fun the demos are terrible but they, they don't capture the game like in any meaningful okay. way okay the game is about the grind it's about fighting a bunch of different monsters it's about like i like the way this monster looks i'm gonna cut off its skin and make an armor out of it it's like yeah or like you know getting your awesome new sword and then like or, or what, where I'm at right now is like, I got to a monster, I cannot beat it. It is just not feasible for me to beat it. So I got to go and like, look at all the advantages I can give myself. There are traps I can craft. There are foods that I can mix to boost my stats properly. I can make a weapon that gives me an elemental advantage over it. I can make an armor that resists the attacks it could do. And, uh, you know, if you're using a bow, there are certain types of ammo you can acquire and you get kitted out and you come in with a plan and then you dominate this monster like and like that is monster hunter like each individual hunt is fun but what's fun about monster hunter is all of them put together like the whole it's greater than the sum of its parts i would say and there are so many systems working together in these games that you can exploit to get stronger yeah i don't know man maybe i'll give monster hunter world another shot because like like you said i only play the demo yeah Yeah, i have it through the playstation plus collection so if you have a ps5 you just get it for free oh okay so yeah yeah i I really do think if you give it a shot you'll get into it but it does it starts slow like the thing monster hunter does that actually really makes me mad that i think is extremely stupid you do not fight a giant monster for your first like three hunts they have you fight the small ones Nobody wants to fight the small ones. Like, I don't know why those hunts are even in the game because they're not they're not enjoyable at all. They're like teaching you the controls, I guess. But no, you're not having a good time until you're fighting the giant stuff. But Rise is very fun and I highly recommend it. Yeah, I mean, like, I know you were negative on it before you played it, but like I had always heard that Rise is like the best one. It is extremely good. Yeah, I was I was just wrong. Like pretty much everything. Yeah. I, I expected it to look like a Switch game. And somehow, it's not quite as good as World, I would say, in some ways. But, like, like the foliage density is less and stuff, and, like, maybe the textures aren't quite as good. But it's it looks like a PC game. It doesn't look like a Switch port to me. That's really cool. Yeah, it looks very good, and I, I'm having a great deal of fun with it. The The only thing, I just wish Monster Hunter would have crossplay. Because, like, if I could play World with you, I guarantee you would have way more fun with World. Like... Because these games are yeah, man. I they're, I'm sure we're we're headed towards the crossplay of future. We're just not quite there yeah. yet. They're very multiplayer focused. It, it makes me mad because I think the new DLC for Rise is even coming out at the same time on PC and Switch. So like, give give me my crossplay. Like that was the excuse on Monster Hunter World was that the two didn't have feature parity. The uh, the console was like way ahead of PC. Yeah. So they didn't do crossplay. I even think there might have been Xbox and P- uh, PS4 crossplay. I forget. But 
I don't I don't know why they're not doing it on Rise. But yeah, World World is also really good. I had a lot of fun with World. Four is still the one I've played the most. I think that's all I've got to say. Capcom is just on fire. They really haven't made a bad game in a long time, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. They they've been on a hot like streak. Fire, for like sure. the, the last two Resident Evils, Devil May Cry Five is like, a, it's goaded for sure. Like Monster Hunter is incredible every time. I just I don't I don't think of Capcom as being this good, but like. When I actually think about the individual games, like these are insanely good games. Who's gonna buy them? Huh? I said, who's gonna buy them? I, I am. I will buy them. <laughs> I, I feel bad that I didn't buy Rise at launch, honestly, because like I'm having a lot of fun with it. And there's still a community. Like, Just goes I, to I show, get, you know, like, uh, you know, first impression, give things a shot before you for- form an impression. Yeah. I guess. Like, Monster Hunter needs a big community for the multiplayer to work, too, because like every hunt is its own matchmaking and there's like a bunch of different hunts in the game but like i have not you know every hunt i pick it's less than a minute of matchmaking and i'm thrown in and i get to fight the monster with you know three randos and have a good time yeah you got anything else to say nah i just i just like it i got another game i want to talk about after you i think okay yeah let's uh switch it up here so i've been playing elden ring pretty much exclusively and after 120 hours plus, I've finally completed the game. I've conquered all the bosses. I've slain Melania, Blade of Mikola, which, by the way, is <clears throat> probably the hardest from software boss ever made. If you're not using He's, the mimic tier. Yeah. I would say it's it's close in my mind between Melania and Ishin the Sword Saint from Sekiro. But oh my like, god, you it, think she's harder than anything in Sekiro? I think so. Yeah. Wow. The in with Ishin though, like I remember, like it was so. It took me, I think, two days to beat Ishin. But after I beat him, I was able to beat him pretty regularly. I don't know if I could beat Melania again. Yeah, I, I watched at, at your least, playthrough, and you got lucky a few times in there. But it it was a pretty impressive fight. It was better than I can do yeah. for sure. You do a lot of damage, by the way. I think you're doing a lot more damage than I am. <laughs> Yeah, it's the uh, the bleed. Yeah. I've got, oh, but yeah. It's it, it. But don't get me wrong, right? Like I definitely got lucky a couple times, but that fight is no joke, right? No, like yeah. you could get lucky in Radon. You cannot just be lucky in Melania. You have to, you have to kill her. You have to, you know, like you, it, it, it you can't just no. That second squeeze phase, by. You basically, can't make any mistakes. Like, yeah, that that's the best way of putting it. That those were the words I'm. It, it, it reminds me of Ishin in the sense that you have to be on the whole time, and if your concentration wavers for a second, you're you're dead, right? Like <laughs> yeah. it's and it. I guess this is just me talking about this boss fight now, but like it took me. I, I was actually surprised at how quickly I got her. Like it took three and a half hours, which I was fully prepared to just sit there for like a couple days yeah, <laughs> and do nothing. Than that, I think. Yeah, and I just. I mean, granted, I I have many reasons, but I. Performance reasons are why I haven't beat the final boss yet. I am not good enough to beat Melania yet. I don't have it. Like, yeah, you just have to learn. You, it's like it's, I almost you know like Mike's criticism of these games. It, Melania is a job, and you there's no other way other than to just learn her patterns and just get good enough to to react to them and get lucky enough in a couple instances to not get one shotted. Yeah. Um, you can dodge her crazy blade attack though. Like it's 
it's it's, impo- it's almost yeah. impossible to completely dodge in my opinion even though i did do that a few times but like i g- did get pretty regularly uh, i i did get good at regularly dodging most of it to where i only had to take one flash to recover the hp but like at first that attack whenever it happened i just died you know it like it was just insane like insane difficulty spike though because like getting it to is, her is not very hard uh, dude i would argue that area is probably the hardest area in the game really the Halig tree yeah i didn't think it was that bad but i mean compared to the rest of the game i think it's yeah. it's clearly the hardest area of the game it is like she is nuts though and it it just makes me laugh so much just looking back because there were so many concerns about this game oh it's a watered down experience for casuals like this boss fight is one of the hardest bosses I've ever fought in my life. I did <laughs> like, see. I saw a tweet right before we recorded today where somebody was saying Elden Ring is the easiest, uh, easiest FromSoft game, and I 100% agree with that. But then, like, the response to that tweet was like, "Oh yeah, if you use sorcery and if you use your mimic." To but your that applies to all of them. And I was like, "Right, yeah." And, and then, the, but if you play it how it's supposed to be played, no, that's like, really stupid. Yeah, I hate that. Up. Like, yeah. there is no you're, how it's supposed to be played. You your play comments, it. yeah, like those comments are turning people off of these games. You're actively hurting the sales of this game if you if you're out there spouting nonsense like, like that. So stop I, it. I summon like, my ash sometimes. Sue me. Like it makes the game fun for me. <laughs> like yeah. I didn't want to fight the Godskin duo. Fun's like, not allowed. I didn't want to fight the Godskin duo or whatever they're called, like, one at a time by splitting them up. That wasn't fun. So, like, yeah, I used a summon. Like, who cares? I did get, I, I got Godskin duo my first try, by the way. I was oh, really? happy that. was that. very hard for me. It took me forever, but I was a little Godskin light. duo, first try, no spirit ashes. Wow. Come at me. Not, can't relate. But I also hadn't run into those enemies. Those enemies exist other places in the world, and I had. Not I, I ran into both time. of them individually. I had uh, not I separately run into them at all. Yeah. yeah, so it was two brand new enemies for me. But yeah, I guess some. It, I know a lot of the people. I have well, not a lot of them. some of the people listening to this are still going to be knee deep in Elden Ring. So if you're very sensitive to spoilers, feel free to skip this section. But I think the like. I saw some criticisms, you know, before I finished the game of like, oh, the late game areas aren't that good. And I guess I would somewhat agree that they're not as good as like the, the first half, but they're still freaking good. Yeah, I man. think it's me like, referencing here. I, I said that. They no, get a I, lot, I saw that in a few other places. They get too. a lot less open. And I think that that is true. Like they, they do get narrower. They, like the, more... the, Halig, the Halig tree was insane. Yeah, like I, I thought that level was incredible. Yeah, no, I think they're incredible. They're just not open worlds anymore. They turn into like a Souls dungeon. <laughs> like, Faramazula is not real open. It's a Souls area. Yeah. Like, Faramazula was cool, uh, but I, I was just really impressed by the Halig tree. The Halig tree is cool. A lot, of, a lot of stuff there is cool. I like the way you get there. I like how hard it is to find all the stuff you need to get there. And Yeah, like, getting there was... <laughs> Getting there was ridiculous, man. Like, oh, okay, I have to, like, solve this puzzle while invisible assassins yeah. come at me and mages shoot homing arrows at me. Like, are you serious? I was talking about like, even getting the medallion. The medallion was, like... Yeah, even that. Like, even getting to that... Getting to the area before you could even potentially get there is so cryptic that I feel like most people won't get there. Yeah. Get to that area, even. Uh, yeah. It's, it's just, this like I love that stuff about from games, man. Like there's so many layers that if you 
if you're curious enough, you can discover this stuff, and it can just go on and on and on. And it's like all this it, stuff it was is totally optional, by the way. Elden Ring, because like in Dark Souls, I feel like the medallion would have been like a random place you had to use uh, a gesture or something that like there were no, you know, not a lot of hints or anything. Whereas like no, like. I played the game, I explored, I didn't look up any guides to find any of this, like, <clears throat> I just found it by looking. Yeah, yeah, same. Now, granted, I found there are apparently doors that you have to attack with your sword 50 that, times. I so. could not believe that. <laughs> that's just, I think that's just, that's just, that's gotta be Miyazaki just trolling I think it's point. a like, bug. I think that it There's is. no way. I, no way, man. No, like, I, it's, it has to be intentional. No, because it didn't always take 50. It depended on the weapon they used. The the theory is that walls have a poise stat, and uh, I think that the poise stat got messed up on that wall. Like, it was supposed to be one, and it was like a hundred or something on accident. That makes way more sense to me than Miyazaki thinking, ah, yes, this door has... I, I don't know, man. I could see it. I really could see it happening. Like, uh, but, you know, that that kind of thing happening in a game like this, intentional or not is just going to make the community explode, yeah. right? Because, like, people are just going to go around and hit every door, like, a no, hundred times I saw now. people getting organized with a spreadsheet to, like, attack every <laughs> Yeah, right, wall like, every wall. Jesus times. Christ. Like, that, I love that stuff, man. That's so insane. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, thank you. That is too much for me. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not that they're enjoying it. But I, yeah, I haven't even, there. I haven't even gone to that wall. I don't even know what's behind there. Is Nothing. it anything? It, it goes yeah. to a room you've already been to. That's the worst part. It doesn't even lead to Oh, uh, okay. Then, then it might be a bug. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's what I was thinking. If there was, like, if there was like an item in there, then maybe. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure it's in the volcano manor and it leads yeah. back into the room that has like, uh, the, the guy and the lady that like sell you some stuff related okay, to Okay. That, that's, that's super lame. Yeah. Then, yeah. then that's, that might be a bug. Yeah. No, there's nothing there. But yeah, like I it's uh it's crazy to me just like even after I beat the game, I decided not to do new game plus right away and just go around and collect things I needed for the platinum trophy. And at this point I was like comfortable looking up a guide was like, okay, I need these weapons, I need these spells. And in doing that, I, I collected all of that stuff by the way. Did but you get, in did doing you get that I did. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I platinumed Elden Ring. Which is kind of insane. But in doing that, I discovered entire freaking areas and villages that I hadn't even seen yet. Wow. Like, I was just like, how deep does the rabbit hole go with this game? Like, it's Probably just. Probably no deeper. Once you platinum it, I bet you've seen everything. <laughs> but. Well, it's m maybe, but like, I don't know, man. Like, I mean, like everything major, right? Like, for sure. But there's surely caves out there and catacombs that I haven't seen yet and stuff. But it's just. It was wild to me because as I was going around, I was like, oh, you discovered this whatever village and i was just like what <laughs> yeah it's like yeah, and most of it's extremely good there is some stuff in elden ring that i do find myself like why is this here like there's there's a you even have to buy a hint to get to it there's a hint that says like oh if you oh, get fort gale yeah i i, I buy all the hints yeah. th there was a hint and it was like oh if you go to fort gale there's a portal that takes you to F castle radon or whatever and i i think those are the actual names which i probably shouldn't have used but like you could also just walk to Castle Red, Redon. Red Man like, Castle. What, what yeah. was the point? Why did I care about the portal to get there? And there were like a couple of warps in the game that like you go to the warp. And so it I'll you tell you why you care about the portal, right? Because if you charge Red Man Castle from the front, you'll you'll have to face an assault. Whereas like the portal puts you behind the front. Oh, lines. really? Yeah. I found the assault very manageable. I it really didn't bother me. <laughs> yeah, 
but you know, so. like it's it's there. You know, yeah. like okay, you can, that makes you can sense. Sneak yeah. in. Yeah. I I will pause it. If you cannot get through that assault, you do not have any business at Redmond <laughs> Go Castle. turn around. Yeah, <laughs> like you'll not you'll not be uh, a fan of what follows. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's such yeah, a good game. Man, this game is so special. Like, I know, like I'm coming fresh off of it, so obviously my experience is very you know painted by that but this is my favorite game like i've ever played at this point you know like i it's probably i'm sure that that opinion will will become more objective over time but i'm just i think cloud nine right now one i'll say that and like i think so was on this unreachable pedestal for me i will say it's really funny as soon as i beat the game i had an overwhelming urge to play dark souls really i I, I just like urge to go back and play finally play bloodborne right now Oh, you would love, you know, just, people are still saying Bloodborne is the goat, even after Elden Ring. Really? Like some people, right? Like, no, I'm wrong. not saying the, I, I've the vast majority. Bloodborne that I know that I don't like it as much as Dark Souls 1, I feel like. I, I would put Dark Souls 1 and Bloodborne at the same level, personally. I, like I've those played, games are. Because I had played like four, four, six hours of it, something like that. Yeah, that's pretty good. So like I know I know where it sits for me I think I just love the more aggressive style and I love the the lore and the atmosphere in Bloodborne a yeah. lot. Yeah, it just doesn't have the uh, it doesn't have the level design. Which, by the way, speaking of lore, I I don't know if I agree with that. By the way, the level design and well, it's not as good as Dark Souls one, but it comes pretty Having close. Having fast I would travel say. early game hurt bloodborne in my opinion which is weird because i don't feel that way about elden ring elden ring well elden ring is just so vast you yeah. kind of need it right but like i i do want to talk about the lore for elden ring i'm fascinated by but i just don't understand it myself like i really want really? videos I and stuff like to come out very accessible compared to dark souls like i i, I think it is accessible but i don't get yeah. i don't have the full picture yet there's i think there's clearly a cosmic element to it just like bloodborne which yes. I find the most fascinating of all. I want to know how all the cosmic stuff plays. So I, into I it. can say, like, I read some item descriptions. Like, Melania went to, or yeah, Melania. Yeah, Melania. No wait, was it? Is Melania the blade of Mikola? Yes. Oh, but it was Melania. Melania is the Scarlet God, Rod- or whatever, right? Goddess. Yeah. Yeah. She went to space and did a bunch of stuff up there. Like it talks about it, and she brought like. I'm pretty sure she brought the Scarlet Rot down from space, and like that's so cool. Estelle came with her and destroyed Nock, whatever. Nock, Nockrus, Nockrum. Yeah, the she brought City. a lot of that stuff back with her. Like you can, yeah. you can get that from item descriptions and stuff. She definitely went to space and like Rani or whatever. She is going to space for whatever reason. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. for sure a cosmic element and aliens and yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. Especially, like, again, spoilers, right, for Elden Ring. The last boss, right, like, it... It's very cosmically themed. <laughs> yeah, it, it, like, there's no other interpretation. Like, it clearly is, like, a space boss yeah. thing. Which is very jarring. If, like, if if someone hasn't really been paying attention to the lore and is just playing this as a fantasy game, seeing that last boss is surely I also gonna raise is, some questions. Do you think that it... Because in my opinion, it kind of follows the, the soul's tradition of having kind of a weak final boss and i i thought so i saw this opinion a lot but i i thought it was a really good last but i like how it was like a two-phase yeah, thing yeah i think right? like, radagon's attacks are very manageable like yeah they're not that bad to dodge and then the beast just didn't feel like it had that much health like 
I felt like I could probably beat it if I didn't have lag spikes that make me get one shot. <laughs> like, Yeah. So I don't know, like, the beast's attacks, none of them one-shot me. So I feel like maybe you need to just put some points into vigor or something. Well, it's not literally but... one-shot. It's like I get hit, and then I get some lag, and then I'm done oh, okay. before I can do anything about it. Like, But yeah, like, as far as last from last bosses go, it was, it was good, right? It wasn't the best, right? Like, the best would probably Sekiro. be, obviously, Sekiro is the best but like you know like some people would argue Sekiro is not even a Soulsborne game which is true right it's it's not a Soulsborne yeah, game but it is a from game it doesn't fit the category but yeah I, yeah but I, I I don't know I would probably say Bloodborne's like last like a pushover Gwen is a very easy boss I would say Bloodborne's last boss is better than Elden Ring's last boss really yeah I don't even oh yeah the Lord of I don't remember the Dark Souls the Dark Souls 2 final boss actually sucks it's really not very interesting Queen whatever yeah and it kind of comes out of nowhere yeah but, yeah, I don't know, like, with Elden Ring, like, the last boss didn't defend me like it offended some people. I didn't really get the complaints, but... Oh, I didn't... I, I, I'm I not guess... offended by it. I just thought it was kind of easy, like, compared, you know, comparatively, like, I thought that it it felt easier than the guy the, before it, the... But here, okay, so here's the thing, right, like, Godric I think from games... Like, for the most part, with the exception of Sekiro, the last boss is never the hardest boss. No. Or, like, even that hard, really. Like, yeah, the last bosses are almost always pushovers. Like, yeah. Except, I thought the, the final boss in Dark Souls 3 was tough. The the Lord of Cinder or whatever. I haven't beaten Dark Souls 3. Wow. Like, I got, Not like, to the last... I got to, the, like, the last level, and then I just stopped playing for some reason. The last boss of the story I thought was very hard. The last boss of the DLC was insane it was it yeah. was very hard so for me I saw one it. one from software tradition that definitely exists is that the dlc is often the hardest part of the game yeah so i can't wait for elden ring dlc yeah elden ring dlc is gonna be nuts like we'll see if they can top millennia but uh, like I, they, just going back to that man like that boss fight yeah. i was you know what i finished that boss fight around like 2 30 a.m yeah. couldn't sleep till yeah, like you texted me yeah. four couldn't sleep to like four just because the adrenaline was so high like straight because like every time i got her to phase two like if you had like a heartbeat monitor on me it would like my heartbeat would like double yeah my heart was pounding out of my chest every time i got her to phase two like it was just that intense yeah and uh it, it was so late at night and i was like you know i was out of town visiting my family too so like i couldn't like scream or anything oh when my i beat God, her. did you put this on remote play no, no, I brought my PS5 with me. I was going to say, God, beat Milan. No, no, there's no play. way. There's no legend. way. Yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, like, it, I beat her and I just couldn't sleep for the next hour and a half because that adrenaline was still in me. Like, that... I, I, I feel that. That happens to me a lot with games. I, I have to stop playing them for a while before I go to sleep. Yeah. But like, I... Yeah, that that was definitely a highlight of that game to me. Like, this game really does have it all, right? Like, if you just want to, like get if you want an open world from software experience you have that if you want like the hardcore like tear your hair out bosses you have that too and everything in between like it really feels like from software with this game it lit they 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 simultaneously open it up to more people and uh satisfy their fans at the same time which is a very tough thing to do i think i have really enjoyed watching people uh i've seen streamers like use the mimic tier to beat a boss and they'll just like sit back and eat a bowl of cereal while the mimic tier <laughs> yeah. beats the boss for them it's funny because like they they nerfed the mimic tier too and it's still it? strong right like yeah. they, with the well, also with, like with the mimic tier is not an easy mode because you do have to beat radon to get the mimic tier i'm pretty sure 
Yeah, I don't know how I feel about the Radon nerf. Like, I I hope this doesn't become a trend. Yeah. Right? Like, because, like, I don't know. Like, I think some of the bosses should be, like, stupid hard, right? Yeah, and it, but none of the required bosses in this game are stupid hard, right? Like, uh, yeah, some of them are very Melania difficult. I get a nerf just because you don't have to kill her. Like, again, spoilers, uh, Malekith is a required boss, and I thought he was pretty tough. Malekith was very hard, yeah. But, like, all the optional bosses that are, like, like Radon is optional. You don't have to beat Radon. Radon's Melania, optional. Yes. I didn't know You that. don't have to beat Radon. Melania is optional. And another boss that I would argue is top five difficulty in this game, Moog, Lord of Blood, optional. I did not so, find Moog that hard. I found him pretty hard. Oh, yeah. you didn't use an actual war, though. I did use my, I used my little skeleton guy. Yeah, his uh, his patterns are crazy, man. Like the delays in his attacks. Uh, I didn't I didn't find anything super hard to dodge. I just found the punishes. I, I I swing really slow, so I had I found it very hard to get in to punish him. Yeah. No, I I, I definitely thought that fight was challenging, but overall, very pleased with the bosses in this game. Very pleased with just you know just again bravo to From Software. Like I can't wait to see where they go next. Like obviously there's going to be an Elden Ring 2 at this point. There has to be yeah. with how it's sold. Even if there that wasn't planned at first, with the way it's selling, with the way it just took over the world, like Well, weren't they saying uh, they want to like do books and stuff, right? They want it to be a multimedia franchise, I think. I I I think that's the plan, right? Like Elden Ring is just going to become like this super big popular IP, right? Like a a new IP that's that's going to be with us for years to come. And I'm I'm here for this ride, man. I can't wait to see where it goes next. Maybe into space or yeah, something. Yeah, literally. <laughs> to yeah. the moon. Yeah, Elden Ring to the moon. All right, Connor, what's your other game? Uh, I uh, I played a couple indie games and stuff. You know, I returned to Baba is You. That's a fun game. I played a That's little bit of Celeste. Game. That's super fun. But the one I really want to talk about is Tunic. Uh, it's brand oh, new. Oh, yes. It's on Game Pass. And I... I really don't want this game to get missed because people are still playing Elden Ring because it is so good. It's got like it, it's it's really like Zelda meets Fez meets Dark Souls, and I know people are sick of saying that stuff meets Dark Souls, but it's this, the like, Dark Souls of Fez. This gets it. Like it has the ladders you kick down. It has the maps that like unexpectedly loop back on each other. It has a bonfire system. Like it, it takes a lot of inspiration from Dark Souls, clearly. And all that works, but it's not what's interesting about the game to me. What's interesting about the game is like it takes this classic Zelda style and like mixes it with some of the like more cryptic puzzles and stuff from Fez. Like just for instance, like you're walking around this like it's like a top-down isometric -y Zelda type game. And one of the main items you're finding is pages of the manual. The manual is not in English. It's like an old NES style manual, which very few of the words are in English. They're mostly in this cryptic alphabet that like, I, I think some people have deciphered and it does actually say stuff, but you, you can't read it by default. You have to like, and there's nothing in the game to help you read it. You would have to learn that language yourself. And, um, it's beautiful. Like the artwork, the game itself is beautiful. You're like a little fox that is wearing a tunic. You look like Link, basically. Like it's clearly a fox and Link cosplay. It's wearing its inspiration on its sleeve. But like the art involved in this manual is so good, classic NES stuff. It's so adorable. And like there are secrets in this manual. Like you have to like, because it's not in English. So you have to like decipher it. 
But once you understand what it's saying, you can go to these places in the game and like there will be whole mechanics that you didn't realize were there. And you, you literally have the manual, but you can't read it. You have to figure out what it's trying to tell you. And the manual is your only map. The manual has like classic, like like in classic games, it has maps of the different areas and you have to find that page and then you have a map of that area for the game. And it does like, it shows your character on the map in the manual. So it's not like cruel in that way. Like it does give you some modern features and stuff, but it's just such a charming way to present everything. And it's, yeah. it's also like kind of this beautiful post-apocalyptic world. The story is extremely cryptic because you can't, there's no, there's very little English in this game. Like so much so that I checked to make sure I had the language set right in the settings. Cause I, I didn't realize, I didn't really know what I was signing up for when I started it. So. Yeah, I'm 100% going to play this game at some point. Yeah. It's, I, it's definitely on my radar. It's so you honestly don't have to worry a really good palate cleanser after Elden Ring. Like, because it's got enough of that sauce. Like, it is a, it's a fairly open world. It's soulsy combat, but it, like, it kind of eases you back into other video games. <laughs> I know, man. Like, I'm definitely feeling that post-Elden Ring blues. Like, yeah. I just, I tried to play a bunch of stuff, and I just was not feeling it. T- Tunic, I think, would be a good game for you, then. I, I highly recommend it. I don't know if it's on PlayStation, though. It's not. It's only on PC, Xbox right now. Yeah. It's on Game Pass, though. So if you have Game Pass, I really can't recommend it highly enough. I don't think I have a whole lot right. more to say. I haven't gotten far enough in it. I just really wanted to give it a shout. Yeah. No, everything I've seen about it looks spectacular. I'm I, looking forward to I it. I do feel like there's part of me that's, like, building it up maybe bigger than it, sh- than it really is because Fez had all these, like, hidden meta secrets and stuff that were, like, really... I hard. don't know, man. I've, he- I've heard similar things from other T- people about this game tunic does have that stuff because i i would like love the, for it the, too, the, the I, secrets I, huh the secrets yeah yeah like i've heard this game has like dark souls level secrets okay so i haven't seen any of that yet i just got the vibe so i i didn't want to like get disappointed you know because <laughs> i had this yeah. expectation Wait, that is tunic giving you fez vibes tunic is giving me fez vibes yeah and not in the Phil Fish is the worst not, kind of way. Not in the Phil Fish In the way. good parts of Fez, yeah. The good parts of Fez. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the first thing, like, I saw this language I couldn't speak. And that's, like, an iconic part of Fez is having to translate that language. Because uh, Fez also had, like, a lot of secrets that were not in English. Or they were in English, but the characters were of another language, and you had to figure all that out. There was, like, a, you needed a cryptography degree to finish Fez, basically. <laughs> yeah. well, Fez was a fun game. Yeah, I never finished it, but I, I had a friend that got really into it, and I loved hearing her talk about it. I and, and Tunic is presented in a way that I think I could get really into it, in, in the way some people got into Fez. I think Tunic is more interesting in gameplay. It look, yeah, it certainly is eye-catching to look at, too. Oh, it's gorgeous. So. It's, it's something you have to play it on, like... Well, I, I don't care how you play it. Play it however <laughs> you can. But I have to play it on my big TV, you know, HDR and 4K and everything. Gorgeous game. That's all I got, though. All right. Yeah. I don't know how this episode went as long as it did, but it did. So. We had a lot of games we've been playing to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Or a lot to say about them. All right. Yeah. I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you all for listening. You can follow us at Ad Podcast Games Talk on Twitter. Please like, rate, and review us on any podcast service you use, including SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Click the link in the description to join our Discord and talk to us there. Thank you, Connor and Mike. Yeah, see you guys next week. See you next week.
And uh, I do want to. Uh... Oh man, I lost my train of thought again. I'll have to That's cut that out. To me a lot today too. Yeah. Don't know why. What what's happening? The spell worked. You want to put a clap? <laughs> the spell worked. Out. <laughs> you don't have to clap. I'll. I. You know, I listen to these whole things to over, over again. Oh yeah. You know, every weird, every single time I edit, I listen to the whole thing just yeah. to make sure I get everything. I don't even listen to Drunk Movie Night all the way through. Well, I guess that's the difference I, between I use my elite podcasts like this. Yeah. I use yeah. my robot and, uh, to cut out the, science, the silences, and then it's all over. 